You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 70. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Thank you once again for joining me. It is an honor and a privilege to have you for the next 30 or so minutes. I am shooting this episode on the night before I get on an airplane and fly far, far, far away from the Pacific Coast to go see some friends and family on a little two-week excursion. It has been a long time coming, getting me out of the city. I don't leave Los Angeles very often, mainly because I get into Jesse work mode, and uh, I just lock in on that, and before you know it, months have passed, so when I do take these rare trips um, on an airplane to go see people, I thoroughly enjoy it, and I'm super pumped and excited for what I'm getting ready to experience, and so I thought, what a great idea. Let's shoot a show at 9.30 on a Tuesday night when I have to be up at 5 a.m. to get on an airplane, <laughs> because why not? I honestly, I look around, I mean, I'm packed, everything's ready to go, I don't know what else to do with my time, I don't want to go to bed too early because I want to be really tired on the airplane to fly from LA to Denver and then three hour, I almost said hangover, (laughs) it'll be like that because sitting in an airport for three hours can be a little bit perturbing, Um, but I've got books, I've got things to work on because that's what I do, and uh, then uh, a quick little flight to Indiana and then you know, onto that excursion and then uh, some a week later go to Oklahoma and then back out here. So I'm super pumped and it's a little uh, exciting and a little nerve wracking because of what's going on with the quarantine. You know, I assume I'm going to be have to wear a mask the entire time on the airplane, which is super stupid. And I don't like that because I can't breathe in those things. I get the health ramifications. I'm not saying it's stupid because of that. I'm saying it's stupid because <laughs> those things suck to breathe in. So hopefully the uh, the uh, flight attendants are only casually paying attention to the fact that my nose will be sticking out from mine <laughs> most of the flight. Um, I forgot to check in. It's Southwest, and you know, you check in super like right at the moment, or you're going to get stuck in like C, D class, or you might have to stand on the wing because you forgot to check in so early. I didn't check in for, I think, an hour and a half past when I could have, and um, I still was able to get um, low B and high, low B and mid A even. And so that's telling me that the flight, plane flight won't be all that full. So I'm going to make this short and sweet and to the point. Um, last week we talked about the amygdala and how that. Um, interacts with, you know, the rest of the brain as far as deciding whether you're going to be in fight, flight, freeze, or sex mode. We discuss the cerebral cortex. Um, I have a couple different things in the show notes here. Um, In the future, coming up, um, when I get back from LA, I might do an episode or two. I'm taking a headset and I'm preparing myself to do an episode or two while I'm away, especially if I feel uh, super, like, just in the moment, um, excited about something. So I'm super pumped about what might come there. So I'm taking the headset just in case. But if I don't end up doing an episode while I'm gone, then this might be the last time you guys hear from me and you won't know until it gets posted. (laughs) But in the future, I'm doing uh, music and the emotional state that music can bring out of you. I'm also going to be doing an episode called Alone versus Lonely. Um, because one of uh, my 
one of my favorite listeners, at least uh, he's reached out to me multiple times and we've had amazing conversations. So um, I definitely consider him to be a friend at this point is uh, specifically asked about doing an episode um, on alone versus lonely. And I'm really pumped about that because if you think about, you know, if you feel alone, what does that mean versus when you're lonely? Right. I mean, people have said that you can feel alone in a room of a thousand people um, just because you've, you know, sort of bordered yourself off from people. But what is the difference between that and lonely? Um, Quick little snippet about that. You know, when you're alone in your house, do you feel lonely? Right. But when you're lonely, do you feel alone? Right. And so being able to draw the comparisons and the contrast between those, um, I personally enjoy my alone time. You know, uh, for the longest time, I thought I was an extrovert because um, I was when I was a drinker, I was always around other people. And that's what I did to have fun. Um, the older I got, the more I started to drink alone. And uh, I, I actually learned quite some time ago that if you're trying to figure out if you're an introvert or extrovert, ask yourself, how do you recharge? Do you recharge by being around a bunch of people and being social or do you recharge by being alone and reading a book, meditating, taking a nap, whatever it might be? And that pretty much will tell you. I think there's one in the middle called like an umbivert or something like that. And uh, that's when you're both. I think that's where I would fall in. So we're going to have a really great time talking about alone versus lonely here in the future. Um, For now, what I would like to discuss is um, I'm going to finish up talking about family and friendships, but something that I want to touch upon now because I spent so much time in the last episode talking about the amygdala. And I forget now... The amygdala, the cerebral cortex, right? The amygdala is the is like the child in your brain. It's the one that throws the temper tantrums. It's the fight, flight, freeze, or sex. The cerebral cortex is the one that um, needs to take in more data and will give you a more uh, well-rounded response to a situation if you just allow it the time to do that. Unfortunately, we find ourselves in a very emotionally triggered society. I honestly think we're in an emotionally triggered world. Uh, it's not just our society. I think it's the whole whole freaking planet. Um, if all, if we could all just be as enlightened as those monks living on the top of mountains in Tibet. <laughs> but, um, so we're talking about the amygdala, right? Fight, flight, freeze, or sex. And then we get the cerebral cortex that takes in the data and it allows you to have that response where you're emotionally grounded, right? Amygdala, that's the reaction. Cerebral cortex, that's the response. The head, heart, gut is... Um, it is a process that I learned in neurolinguistic programming where you're able to figure out what the head wants, what the heart wants, and what the gut wants, and figure out a way to get those three areas of your body to agree. And it's a really amazing um, practice to put people through. It's a really great practice to put myself through. And, you know, because the head, you know, that's where the mental acuity area is. Of course, the heart um, which is what we think of as being where the emotions come from. But obviously we know that it comes from the brain as well. But the heart is generally where we consider all that to come from. And then the gut. And the gut is very, um, partially it's it's very ignored when we think about how we make decisions and how the gut actually affects our day-to-day mood in, in our lives. And in my research for this episode, I came across some super sciencey stuff. And you know how I like to take crazy complicated things to make them simpler. Um, The gut area is technically known as the enteric nervous system. They call it the second brain. And it's got, it consists of these sheaths of neurons embedded in the walls of the long tube of our gut or alimentary canal. And check this out. (laughs) The alimentary canal, which is 
You know, I mean, again, you've heard that your intestines are extremely long, right? And that's what we're talking about is that whole intestinal area. The alimentary canal, which measure, measures about nine meters end to end from esophagus to anus. <laughs> this They call it the second brain. It contains some 100 million neurons, more than either the spinal cord or the peripheral nervous system. I don't know what the peripheral nervous system is, but I'm assuming it's something in the brain. Um, this this enteric nervous system, this gut that we have inside of our stomachs, enables us to feel the inner world of our gut and its contents. It's much of the neural firepower comes um, it comes to bear in the elaborate daily grind of digestion. I don't know what that sounds. Much of the neural firepower comes to bear in the elaborate daily grind of digestion, breaking down food, absorbing nutrients, and expelling waste. Right. So basically, what it's talking about is that that this enteric nervous system inside of your gut. Um, and here's a last science fact, I promise, uh, because I don't want us to get too deep down this wormhole. Just Google uh, how much um, serotonin and gut, just simply those serotonin and gut, just Google it. If you're into sciencey stuff, you're going to get your, you're going to get your money's worth from the internet. with just Googling serotonin and gut. Um, the enteric nervous system uses more than 30 neurotransmitters, just like the brain. And in fact, 95% of the body serotonin is found in the bowels. And this is why it's important. Because back when I used to take a hell a ton of ecstasy, I would take 5-HTP, this serotonin release st- stuff. You could get it at CVS over the counter. It was like literally on the shelves. Um, but I would take handfuls of this stuff at the club at like three in the morning to jack my serotonin levels back up. And it worked and it worked very well. And back then I always thought that the brain, like I was, I was depleting the brain of the serotonin. And what was actually happening is since 95% of your serotonin is in the bow is in your belly, it's in your bowels that think about how much of your mood is created just by what is in your stomach. And think about what is going on when you are eating poorly or you're not eating at all. And all of a sudden you find yourself wondering, well, why am I not in a great mood? So if you have this shortage of serotonin in your, in your body, then you, ha- you, will, you fall into these sad, depressed moods, low energy, negative thoughts, tense, irritable, uh, craving sugar. I think we've all done that. Um, I guess one of the side effects is even reduced interest in sex, which is that's a horrible thing <laughs> to find yourself into. Um, and the reason why I think that this is important to know is that um, because serotonin has so many things that do with your mood and your stress and your anxiety, sex drive, right? I mean, think about if the amygdala is what controls the fight, flight, freeze, or F sex in your body, imagine if your serotonin levels are off, how much that's messing with your amygdala. And so when you're sitting at home and you're wondering why you're feeling mopey, down, low energy, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'll go exercise or I just need to drink some water. And these are all great things as well. But when I look back at the way that I used to abuse hallucinogenics, it would really, um, it would mess with my stomach so much that I often wouldn't really eat good food for a couple days afterwards. 
um, generally like greasy foods, sugar, like like I just read off the internet, you know, you start to crave sweets. Well, then you go to McDonald's and you get yourself jacked full of their fat and their salt and their sugar, and that gets all in your belly, but it's crap food. So you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs to replenish what you've done to the gut. And ultimately, you just, it just sends you in this spiral where, you know, you don't feel good for the next couple of days and you think it's because of what the drugs have done to you. And certainly it is the after effects of the, of the drugs depleting the serotonin in your, in your belly, in your brain. But think about how much better you would have been able to replenish yourself if you had been eating correctly. And this is where we fall in with this alcoholism and this drug addiction is that we tended to not eat great when we were doing all of that stuff. So you're already putting all of these mood-altering chemicals into your body, these poisons, these depressants, and you're screwing with yourself and what's you know, and all that stuff in your brain, your serotonin levels, your dopamine, your amygdala, all of this stuff is getting screwed with when you start to add alcohol and drugs into the mix, and then you eat poorly on top of it. And then it, that ends, then the hangover lasts five days. Then your mood is crap for a week. And so now that we're sober and we're we're all moving into the recovery stage and we're all, you know, fired up about it. Again, I'm just sort of future pacing you. If you're not quite to that part where you're fired up about it, trust me, it, it's coming. Pink cloud or not, I'm telling you, life is, I think we can all agree, a, a bad day in sobriety is better than any great day in addiction. Um, I really want us to start thinking about what is going on in the gut. What are we feeding ourselves that is going to be a deterrent towards our best self? So when you're sitting there and you're wondering why you're feeling mopey and you're sad or depressed and you're not able to just muster up the energy to go do anything, start looking at your in your pantry and start looking in your freezer and start looking in your fridge and really ask yourself, what are the components of the food that you've been putting into your body? Like I'm very mindful to eat almost all of my meals from home because at least then I can monitor what exactly is in my body. I would rather, you know, be in control over everything that I'm putting into my system. I've I mean, I weigh out everything, and I put it into my fitness pal, and I love that stuff. I don't think it's restrictive at all. I was talking to my roommate last night, and he was about this vacation, and he's like, "Oh man, you know, he's just, he's like, you're just gonna let yourself be crazy and eat whatever you want." And I was like, "Well, I'm taking the scale." So <laughs> he's like, "Well, that doesn't sound like you're gonna be crazy and let yourself have whatever you want." And I'm like, "Well, in a way." By scaling everything out, it actually does allow me to have whatever I want. Because I know in order, if I'm not going to be working out that day or for that week, and I know I'm not going to get a lot of workouts in on this trip. And in fact, I haven't gotten a lot of workouts in since the boogie boarding accident, just because I have a lot of issues with my shoulder now. And uh, that's got to do its thing. So I'm doing the rehab and bands and stuff. But point is, is that I know I'm not burning as many calories as I used to when I hit the gym all the time. And so now I'm more mindful of 1,700, 2,100, 2,500 calories trying to figure out what it is each day. So by monitoring what I eat throughout the day, if I decide I want to sit down and make myself a hamburger and air fry up some french fries and then maybe have a little bit of sweet afterwards, because I've been putting everything into the app, I know how many calories I've gotten to whenever that meal arrives. So then I know, oh, wow, I've got 1,700 calories to play with because I had 
you know, only two protein shakes today and a cup of oatmeal. And so now I can, you know, I literally just got done making myself uh, a ground beef hamburger on a brioche bun with some bacon and some pepper jack cheese. And I air fried up some sweet potato tater tots and some little French fry action. And I, I was dipping it in mayonnaise, barbecue sauce, ketchup, mustard, and horseradish sauce and had my soda water and had a big old bowl of cauliflower and broccoli. And that was my dinner. And the whole thing only came up to 1,000, like 1,050 calories. So I still got 700 to play with. So I'm going to go downstairs and I can have a little bit of ice cream. I can have other things, but I've hit most of my nutrition goals for the day. So now I can go off and I can have that sugar. I can have some hamburger helper because um, I'm just trying to eat everything in my fridge that might go bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got very few. I've got some broccoli, some cauliflower, and a little bit of hamburger helper left. And I'm going to eat that just because I don't plan on eating anything at all until I get to Indiana tomorrow. And I won't get there till like 6 o'clock their time, which would be 3 o'clock mine. And um, just based on my body clock. So I don't want to ramble too deep into my process of weighing my food. But I say all this because when I explained it to my roommate last night, he's like, oh, he, see, he saw how I see it. He didn't have to follow, he'll never follow what I do. He's not going to start weighing his food. And you don't necessarily have to either. I believe it's the best way to maintain my weight and to build the muscle and, and keep a low body fat. And it also allows me to eat ice cream and sugar and those things when I do want to eat them. It allows me to do it guilt free because I know I've got 600 calories left in my day. Or I know that I was aiming for 2100 and now I've eaten an extra 500 in ice cream but that's okay because the last three or four days I've gotten a couple hundred lower and the reason why I'm diving a little too deep into my nutrition strategy is because I realize that my gut controls my energy level and my mood and if this is the first time that you're ever hearing this information about how 95% of your serotonin lies within this nine meters of what is it again this enteric nervous system. I just love the way this sciencey stuff sounds. Amygdala, cerebral cortex, enteric nervous system. Um, 95% of your serotonin's chilling in there, then be mindful of what you're putting into your body. And if in the middle of the day you're finding yourself crashing uh, with low energy, and it's because you just went out and had yourself a cheeseburger and french fries and a frosty from Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's, one of those places, then yeah. What do you expect your body to do when you just dumped 1,800 calories, 100 grams of fat, 150 grams of carbohydrates, and a ton of salt into it? Like, it's not going to be operating at its, at its best level. If you want to be your best version of yourself, then getting your nutrition on lockdown is the number one thing you can do. Number one thing. I watched this YouTube guy named uh, Jeff Cavalier. He has a show called Athlean X. I've gotten a couple of his programs. He, may, he offers amazing free content on YouTube. If you've ever wanted to learn about the science of nutrition and exercising and stuff, Athlean X, I highly recommend him. I, he does not sponsor my show. He's just one of those dudes that if I have a question about what's going on and I go to his channel, I can search it. I'll find a video. And he, I watched one today where he says, it does not matter what you do in the gym. It doesn't matter what you do on a treadmill. It doesn't matter what you do on the track. If you're not paying attention to your diet, you will not succeed. 
I had a personal trainer named Alyssa Parker on my old podcast called Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. It's still available out there somewhere in podcast land. And she has a, a book called Fit Starts in the Kitchen. And she was a former professional bodybuilder. Now she's turned into you know, more of a nutrition lifestyle um, proponent now that she's retired. She's a fantastic book. I loved what I read in that. Um, you know, paleo, keto, uh, uh, what was that one that everybody ate where you could eat all the cheeseburgers you want but no bun? Um, oh, Atkins. Um, there's so many Weight Watchers, all of those. And, right, and, it's, and it's so difficult to figure out which one's going to be the best one for you. And it really is experimentation. You'll spend 45 days thinking that you can eat this one way. And then you'll look back and say, oh, that, di- that didn't work. I didn't get my physical body what I wanted. I didn't lose the weight that I wanted. But you're experimenting. And that's what you should be doing with your nutrition is experimenting with different ways of monitoring and, and consuming your food so that you can maintain the, the best version of the body that you desire to have. We don't all have to look like we're on the co- that we're ready to be on the cover of a fitness magazine or on People or Us Weekly or you know we don't that's those people are airbrushed anyway so let's not get too in our heads about what we're seeing in those magazines to be just this normal human walking around on this planet we live in a country where whatever you want to eat is available barring a coronavirus where all of a sudden beans and rice have been raided off of the shelves. And even those things I don't eat very often. I'm a sweet potato guy. But um, I, I dive, I'm diving into this now because I think that a lot of people are coming out of this quarantine and they're looking at themselves and they've, you know, some people have lost a lot of weight because they they were real mindful while they were gone. A lot of people have gained weight. You'll know which one of those you are. If you've lost some weight and you're ready to put on some muscle, then by all means, some gyms are opening up. You can go get bands. There's things you can do at home to start putting on muscle, getting toned, especially for the females out there. I promise you, doing some band resistance, doing some weight training, you're not going to bulk up. It takes an extremely long amount of time to build any kind of substantial muscle definition. Ask any guy out there who's been into the gym for any length of time. You don't just do bicep curls for a month and then all of a sudden have a gigantic bulge in your arm. It takes a long time. You will not wake up after a month of working out with weights and all of a sudden <laughs> look like Alyssa Parker did when she was a professional, which was just extremely strong and she had muscles everywhere. That's not the reality for everybody else. She had to put in years of effort. So pick up those weights and then go home and eat a lot of carnivorous vegetables, the leafy greens, the broccolis, the cauliflowers. These things are amazing in spiking your, your, your positive serotonin in your belly. You know, maintain really lean proteins. Um, maintain not eating too many of those uh, bad carbs and look for the good carbs. And it's not too hard to Google that, so I'm not going to get into all that. But the gut is where your mood is determined. And if you're walking around feeling mopey and sad and depressed and full of anxiety and you've got low sex drive and you you feel grumpy around people and you don't feel social even when you want to be the opposite of all those things I just said, look at the way that you're eating and look at your diet and ask yourself, how could I be doing this better to allow myself to feel better so I can be better? Deion Sanders, a great football player that I admire and have always enjoyed watching, he has a saying that 
goes, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. If you play good, you get paid good. And I've got a shirt that I had put on that, that quote put on it because it, and literally if, if you want to feel good, then how you eat is going to determine so much more of that than anything else. If you're just eating nothing but fast food all the time, you can willpower yourself to feeling good for only so long before your body will finally just start to break down because you're not giving yourself the proper nutrients. 95% of the serotonin that determines your mood lives inside your gut, that 27 feet from esophagus to butt. Think about how much space that takes up. This is why, I mean, I'm a pretty lean person. Whenever I eat uh, a big meal, my belly immediately pooches out, right? Like, you can tell. I have just eaten because my belly has got this little poochy pooch that shows up. It's okay. That's just food inside your belly. (laughs) Don't get upset whenever you weigh five pounds more at the end of the day than you did when you woke up. That's water and food. Trust me, the body will take care of it while you're asleep. So that's what I wanted to say about the enteric nervous system. So last week we talked about the amygdala and how that controls fight, fight, flight, freeze, or sex functioning and how that works with the cerebral cortex. This week we're covering how the gut controls your mood and how what you eat is so important. So I'll wrap up this episode because I want to get it posted so I can finish eating my hamburger helper and my broccoli cauliflower and... Um, I'll say this. I One of the things I do enjoy the most when I leave is, yes, I'm taking the scale and I'm going to be very mindful of what I eat for breakfast or lunch so that I can go all crazy and ham out on whatever the dinner might be. I will intermittent fast most of the day in order to save all of my calories for the end of the day because I know that there's going to be steaks and ribs and hamburgers and bratwurst and all of this fun food happening on all these different days, and I'm super pumped about it. And I think that going into this summer, I would really suggest that you look for ways to go out and spend time with your friends and family and the loved ones that you have been isolated from for the last three or four months. And be, of course, mindful of wearing the mask or shaking the hands. I mean, I'm not going to shake hands while I'm out with all these people, but I do know I'm going to be going to a couple parties where there will be people there. So be mindful of that as far as what that's going to mean to your health and the health of those you go around after you're at a party. But certainly if you're in a zone where you, you know it's comfortable to be around people, then go be around people and, 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 and really cherish the time that you have with them. And think about all these months that have just passed where we were all stuck in our houses by ourselves talking on Zoom. And now go be around people and enjoy that. And don't shutter yourself in. When I hear that people are depressed and they feel alone or they're lonely, and then I ask them what they're doing all the time, and it's isolation, I'm like, well, yeah, you isolate yourself. And I get that there are some debilitating depressions out there that really need you know, some of the more um, patient and, and, and focused approach on it. But for most of us who claim to be depressed, it's just we're not feeling all that great that day. Maybe we didn't eat a good meal the day before. Maybe we're just feeling a little bummed about life in general or something sad happened. But we're not talking about you know, oppressively can't even open up the blinds, can't even get out of bed, you know, don't even want to answer the phone if the house were on fire kind of depression. Most of us are just having these mood swings. 
So push through that and go out and see your loved ones and spend some time with them over the summer. Again, being as safe as possible with the pandemic. Don't come calling me if you get sick doing this. I'm putting my I'm putting myself on the line a lot of other people too whenever I travel. So I'm going to be mindful, you be mindful. But let's also really use this summer to appreciate the social interactions that we're able to have because we just came out of a situation where we weren't able to have them. And going to restaurants and, and going to f- places where people gather and concerts and sporting events, that's, that was gone. And in, in most cases, it still is to a certain extent. So take this time to go and cherish those that you love and care about because we only have today where nothing is guaranteed past it. God willing and our own selves willing and universe willing, you know, we get to live and, and, and prosper into our 90s and our 100s. But today is the day. The past was yesterday. You know, we got tomorrow is the future. That's <laughs> is that profound or what? Yesterday was, the past was yesterday, the future is tomorrow, and today is the day. I should have just said today is a present and <laughs> treated it as a gift and just gone straight cliche. <laughs> All right. I hope that you've enjoyed this. As always, it is a pleasure to have you here. Be mindful of what you're eating, making sure that you're, you're, you're understanding how what you eat actually controls so much about how your body looks, feels, and functions. You're in control of what you put in your mouth. You're in control of how your body looks, feels, and functions. Stop blaming it on McDonald's and fast food. You can just say no. (laughs) We've all chosen to just say no to Budweiser. Let's just say no to fast food, and let's eat a little healthier this summer. Let's feel great about life. Let's go spend it with those that we care the most about. Let's go out and, and, and be socially interacting in a socially distanced manner, Loved one another, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy. Release it and your life will flow. Um, before I say goodbye, if you are interested, my book, College Success Habits, The Seven Powerful Principles to Help You Excel in College and Beyond, goes live on Thursday. Probably should have led with this. <laughs> but I'll post about it on my Instagram page and uh and you know it it is what it is but yes if you're if you've ever wanted to read anything I I talk about these principles I talk about all the time on the show uh a lot of the antidotes that you hear about me talk on the show a lot of me is is in this book that I easily could have just changed the title of the book to from sobriety to recovery the seven powerful principles to help you excel in sobriety and recovery and beyond I easily could have done that um, because these principles will work no matter where you're at in life. This is a great book for your 80-year-old grandma or a 7-year-old kid. If you can take these principles in and adopt them as your core belief system and, and move forward with them, you will succeed in life. So please, if you're into that, go over to Amazon, type in College Success Habits, type in Jesse Mogul. You'll find me. The, uh, the Kindle comes out now. The Google Play one comes out in a week or two. And then the paperback book will come out in August when COVID stops making printing presses shut down. That's it. I'm out. Love you all. I appreciate you every single day of my life. Thank you for the awesome emails and the awesome DMs. Every single one of you matters to me. Please be amazing. Be strong in your sobriety and recovery this 4th of July. 
if uh, the cards play out right, you'll hear from me next week. So take care of yourselves. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.